0: Well, this might be a little bit hard for you, people who are listening to this, because we're going to look at a whole lot of pictures. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to do this uh, this morning. But that scripture—I um, mean, this whole opening, what David spoke about last week, this whole opening to the Book of Ephesians—I mean, those of us that have read the Bible a number of times, it's so you, you just can't read it easily. Um, as David mentioned in the Greek, you know, it's, it's, it's complex, it's long, it's like one big long sentence. You know the Greek, when you look at the actual Greek writing, there were no punctuation, it was all capitals, and it just looks like gobbledygook. It's just, there's no breaks, there's nothing that says pause here, pause there. And so when we turn it into English, we're trying to do our best, aren't we David? But the, the whole idea of making... I mean, who speaks more than one language? Nothing translates one to one, does it? It always has to be translated, which means put into some way of the other language understanding. So I just wish we all spoke original Greek. None of us speak the same Greek that Jesus didn't really speak it anyway, but that they wrote the New Testament in. So this is a translation from Aramaic. Understanding the original Hebrew into Greek and then from Greek to us. But it's pretty good. Especially because that's the New King James, not the New International. (laughs) For all those listening, I apologise. That's the New King James. Why? Because a, it's slightly different. It's always good to read lots of different translations because we don't speak the original. Always read more than one translation and, and, and just listen to the way the words are framed. So I just thought very quickly we'd go through this, this slightly different version, but once again remind ourselves, Paul is taking us high, isn't it? This is high language. It's not, you know, turn the other cheek and forgive really kind of simple understand. This, this is high language that we're looking at today. And he's speaking to a people who understood high language, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, in some translations that will have capital S, Holy Spirit. It's up for grabs because the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him is who? The Holy Spirit. So uh, we won't sort of park there. But there's our scripture. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? High language, isn't it? Exceeding, great, high, the incredible things about Jesus Christ. According to the working of his mighty power. Now, once again, this is reverting straight back to the Holy Spirit. The working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that same power, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. High language, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, even above our prime minister. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? A power higher than our politics in Australia. Such deep... Yeah, I see you all laughing. I get my sarcasm. High. It's not hard to be high above the politics in Australia at the moment. High above our politics and every name that is named. Not only... And here we go. Not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. So that's Paul talking a couple of thousand years ago. So he's talking about... 2,000 years ago, and who? Us, the age that is to come. He's talking about all time. Because now he brings it to the end of time. He put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, that's us, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that high? It's way up there. I mean, and he finishes it with Jesus at the end of all time, because there's that thing that says He will put all things under His feet. Now, we know at the moment that hasn't happened yet. Well, I hope it hasn't happened or we're in trouble, people. (laughs) Because we know that when God said, sit beside me at my throne to His Son, and it says that God will bring everything under His feet, we know that means the end, the end, capital T-H-E-E-N-D, the end. That hasn't quite happened yet. We're in that period of time where Jesus is on the throne. However, he has not come back to bring every name literally to his feet. So we're in that same age as the people in Ephesus. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected by the power of the Spirit. And this is now a good, it could be 20 years later that Paul is writing to a group of people that are in a city that is the third most important city in the Roman Empire. And that's where we're going to go for a visit. We're going to go for a tour through Ephesus. You ready for this? Sorry, people who are listening in the recording. I'll I'll try and explain it as I go. Well, there's a picture of the main drag of Ephesus. Um, This is just a year ago. And as you can see, there's lots and lots of what? Tourists. Or you actually, what you do call them over there, most of the people, they're pilgrims. They're not tourists. It's spiritually deductible money. <laughs> they've gone over to Ephesus. Lo- it's in Turkey, by the way, not Greece. Ephesus is in Turkey. And um, they've gone over there. And as you can see there, it, it's hot. Boy, it gets hot over there. It's once again a different heat to here. But when you're walking, the buses drop you off up top. Has anyone done this by the chance, Ephesus? The buses, yeah, cool. The buses drop you off up the top, don't they? And then you walk down and depending on which tour you're on, one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours later, they pick you up at the other end. It's only about a kilometre and a half, but there is so much to see. You could spend a whole day there. Um, I'm lucky to be able to say I've been there three times, and you, just, you don't catch it all by any means, especially when you're videoing, which is why I was there. But that's what it looks like almost every day tourist after tourist. It's the most important tourism site in Turkey today, as well. There's better biblical sites. There's better biblical sites that are more. Laodicea, you know, you know the name Laodicea? is an unbelievable site. Puts this to shame, but this is the better tourist site because it's on the tourist route where all the tourists go and where the cruise ships come in. So Ephesus, interestingly, is still the centre of tourism of the biblical lands, and that's, and that's what it looks like. It's, just, you, it's very hard to do what I've tried to do, and that is get photos without people in it. But if you notice, there's a the thing that says people can't walk down there. <laughs> because it's just always jam-packed. This is what Ephesus looks like. That's actually one of the main drags that went all the way down. It's now five kilometres from the water, yet then it had a whole lot of water. Um, it's interesting for people that whole thing about, you know, um, the change, the planet, uh, you know, climate change and all that. Go work it out in Ephesus, because that see the end of that street? That was, that was the pier. And now it's five kilometres to the water. That's how much silt has come down out of the mountains to, to jam-pack the, the... It was deep enough for ships to come in in the day. That was the port at the end. It... We're talking here an amazing city. And that was its, one of its main streets. And see, in between each one of those pillars, that was a shop. So that was just like the High Point. High point. It was just like the shopping mall, the Agora, although the Agora is at the top end. The main center. This isn't one of the main main streets. This is just like Douglas Parade. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's just just looks like today in a sense. Kind of, in a sense. Okay. Now we're going to look at one of the many, many, many kinds of things that you find in a place like Ephesus. This, of course, would have been buried under the dirt. Some archaeologists found it and went, Woohoo! My you know, doctorate's gonna look real good because I found Now, some of you are actually worshipping this God right now, perhaps. Phil? No, he hasn't got his sneakers on. Nike? (laughs) (laughs) Anyone wearing Nike? This is the goddess Nike. This is the goddess that we still celebrate. Because see the wings? And see the wreath in the hand up the top there? I win. I am the goddess who wins. I am this goddess. So that's where. That's why Nike chose Nike for the shoes. I am the goddess. I am the one who wins. It's all connected. So I just want sort of throw that one in. A little bit of you know worship of foreign gods. This they've only excavated in the last ten or fifteen years. This are the houses, and it is amazing. They've got their turaks just as we have our Turaks. The people that never move, that live in the, on, the, on the hill. they always live in a hill. Why? Because they get the views, blah, blah, blah. Just like that at Ephesus. And they've only just, in the last 10 or 15 years, dug all of this out. And have a look. Can you even see over in the far corner? See the little birdie on the wall? Imagine being the archaeologist that, that discovered that, like, that cleaned off with a... And they do every bit of it with literally a toothbrush. A fair, you know... Because, how, imagine putting a scratch through that when you found it. A 2,000 year old piece of art. See the others up the back, the wreaths. and Man, these guys knew how to live. This is the rich area and it's one after the other after the other. You just walk through on a walkway above it. See on the floor, the lion? It's absolutely amazing what these people did. Now, to put all this together, you go past a room about the size of this. With a whole lot of just clumsy old tables, and on the top of the tables, I swear, are thousands upon thousands of pieces of pottery about that big, and they lay them all out on the table according to where they found them. And what what does somebody have to do? Put them together. Try and work out how to put them together. That's what isn't it? It's so good that people do this because we learn so much about the past. Because just one of them puts the right one together. And I mean, that's kind of how we even get our scripture through people who dedicate themselves to this kind of work. It's fascinating. As you can see, I really like it. But look at that. That's 2,000 years old. Still there. Imagine if your house was around in 2,000 years' time. It's interesting, isn't it? This is the intimate dwellings. That's the main living room, obviously, with the lion on the floor. But we're talking filthy rich. Filthy, filthy, filthy rich. They had heating, like inducted heating and everything through underneath it. All you do is get a few slaves to make a fire. There was a hollow underneath the floors, easily done. Incredible people. What we're looking at now, if you ignore all the people, that building at the end there, it's called the Library of Ephesus. It's basically pretty much the best library outside Athens. When Ephesus was big, when Paul was in Ephesus, remember by then, Athens was not. Athens was a lower... It's hard to imagine, isn't it? The Greek capital, Athens, was a lower city than Ephesus, by, by far and wide. That library, the structure that they've got there, in behind that were 300,000 books from all over. Or like, not just that area. All over. three hundred. Now, books, in the, 2,000 years ago, books... Parchments. You know what I mean. We think, lot like, nice little book." Or nowadays, bring the phone out. We're talking parchments. It was massive, massive. Ephesus was a place of learning. We begin to understand this high language that Paul's bringing to them. Ephesus was an amazing city, and there it is. Can you see that big thing in the end there under the hill? That is two thousand years old theater. It is, it's mind-blowing, isn't it, when you walk into it? And you know what we've done? We, we do lectures when we do the tours with the Bible College and that. And one day I thought, well, let's do it. We took all of the, the little team, about 20 people, and we sat halfway up. We put one, our, our guy that was doing a little, um, like a devotion for that day, the minister, we put him down on the ground. So can you just look at the distance from the ground right up to halfway through? He spoke in a normal voice, just like that, and we heard him clear as day. Isn't that amazing? You sit in these things. We 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 sing in them. They say when no one else is around. And we've done this in one of the theaters in Israel. They say get a coin out and drop a coin, and you will hear it in the top of the amphitheater. And you do. Isn't that isn't that mind blowing? They, did, they, didn't, they kind of didn't have roofs, obviously not made of stone, but they, they made great big cloths and they'd be hanging and flapping in the breeze to keep the sun off the people. Amazing theatres. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about this lady. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts. The book of Acts has this whole part where Paul eventually gets to the city of Ephesus. He walks into the city of Ephesus, He begins to preach Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden some trouble starts, and it builds and it builds. And, and when you read this, you read it in half a chapter, but we're talking over a period of time. Paul stayed in the city for quite a while. There was a group of people that got really, really narky with this guy, Paul. Why? Because they were the people that built these. Now that is a big statue. It stands, it's in the Ephesus Museum, but it would stand taller than my hand is now, probably another couple of feet. That's a big statue. And you can see it's a kind of a woman, but she's really in trouble. You can see those things that almost yeah, we look at it and we go, Are they breasts? Are they actually a billion and one breasts? And that's what archaeologists have been asking for a long, long time. And they've kind of almost assumed, well, yes, because why? It's Artemis, the fertility god, the Artemis, the the woman that will bless women. So they looked at that and you just automatically assume, oh, yeah, you know, the many breasted one, you've probably heard that saying, the many breasted one, which obviously, from a fertility point of view, makes sense, kind of, but not necessarily. And when you have a close-up, which I'm not going to come to, but even underneath there, the trick that gives us away, see in the legs, or where the legs would be, there's little statuettes. They're lions and bulls. Ah, and the penny begins to drop. They're actually testicles. Because fertility, a woman with all of those strung around her neck, is a real sign of, of quite of power. But it's the testicles of bulls that stand. You know, excuse me for being so open, but this is what's important. Spiritually, what they're trying to explain is Artemis is the one who will bless my household. If I want to live with healthy children, with healthy money, with wealth, and be, I must have this goddess in my household to preside over my household. It makes perfect sense. So whether they are breasts or whether they are testicles, the point is made. We have to have this goddess over our house. So what were the tinsmiths and the artisans who could make a little model of a body like this? They were making a wealthy trade. People would visit from all over, just like today. They would go to Ephesus and so that they could go back home and be blessed by the goddess who was the goddess of Artemis, Diana. She is the, is the great goddess. I mean, there's millions of goddesses. She is the goddess of Ephesus. And what does Ephesus represent? Money, wealth, power. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Ingenuity. So get to have the picture. So Paul goes in. He preaches Jesus. What happens? People begin to believe in Jesus. And guess what? These guys ain't selling as many of their little dolls. And remember, they're not just selling trinklets. They're selling a goddess who will bless your household. Wouldn't you buy one if you thought it was real? You know what I mean? So these guys were making billions and squillions. They had the city stitched up and it was a major income for the city. For people to visit and bow down and pay homage to Artemis. So when Paul comes in and preaches Jesus, literally all hell breaks loose. One day they finally grab him. And they begin to start a riot. These guys—they'd planned it, they'd worked it out—and they begin to start a riot. And they drag him. Where do they drag him? Down to the theater. And this is now. This is so ex- kind of exciting, but it's pretty not so good for Paul. But they wanted to kill him. And where would you do that? Where would you bring your riot? You'd go downhill. They first met. It says up top. There's a place called the Odeon, and that's the center of government near the Agora. They first met up there. Why? Because that's where the government boys are. That's where we'll get the power. And then they moved down the same walk we've done, down through Ephesus, building the crowd. They get to the theatre, and they now had thousands upon thousands of people inside that theatre, jam-packing. Can you hear them screaming and screaming? And the scripture says they're screaming, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Great is Diana of Ephesus! These people were filled with fury at Paul, and finally, one guy stood in with a bit of smarts, and he thought, "This is going to go out of hand. This is—we're talking here. It's about Diana. You know what I mean? We're not talking. We read this stuff, and we can so easily just sweep it under the carpet. Oh, you know. And, and then Paul gets away, and everything's good. Paul was in, would have been, no doubt, trembling in fear of his life. Still kept up. He would have had a team with him. Paul would not have been alone." team would have been with him dragged into the centre there and they wanted to kill him. And thank goodness someone stood up and, you know, said, hey, guys, blah, 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 read the story. It's in, I think, chapter 19, I think. Acts 19, 19, yeah. It's a a fascinating story and you'll find it more fascinating now that you've seen Ephesus and you've you've kind of got the picture. Um, So that's the theatre. Paul was brought down here and that's where they wanted to kill him. So see how small the people are? We sat right up there, and you can hear a person speaking with a normal voice. So theatre acting was so easy to do without a microphone. It's incredible, isn't it? These people were smart. I just thought I'd add that in. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) Genuine fake watches. At the end of every tour of Ephesus, when you get to the very end, did you remember it? There's no, not a lot of tour, tourist places up top. Why? Because watch offices go down and what can you buy? Little Diana's. <laughs> you name it, including genuine fake watches. Okay, we're coming towards my conclusion. That's a little part of what the city looked like, but you can see the, the theatre over the back there. We've just walked a kilometre down through the, uh, the library is right dead centre up the top. We've walked down and all of those tourist fake watches are actually right where that temple stands there. It's just massive. And, of course, the sea was behind... Oh, and there's a wall all the way around it. This was an amazing city. They even had terracotta pipes. This is the sort of thing that fascinates me and my boss, archaeology. We're talking 2,000-year-old terracotta pipes, very similar to the ones that were being used up until the plastic and concrete of today for their heating. And they've found all of them, even the way they were joined is almost identical to how our pipes were laid up until a few years back. Now we use plastic and other things. Remember terracotta pipes here? You'd be digging in the garden and, oh, and you know you'd hit a terracotta pipe. 2000 years. I think you've got my point. Ephesus was some city. They were some people, they were smart. And then we've come to this scripture. This high language that Paul is saying to these incredibly intelligent people. And this is how he opens his letter. He doesn't open his letter and go straight into the gospel. He opens his letter and he goes high. Why these people were high people? They were the snobs. If you lived in Ephesus, you were a snob of the Roman Empire in Asia. Get the picture? The people of Ephesus were not dumb, nor were they people of war. Funnily, they, they weren't people of war. It's, why bother? <laughs> when you've got everything, why bother going to war to try and get more than everything? They built an incredible city with none of our high technology. None of our high technology. They had wealth, order and status. Let me ask you a question. If I had a calculator here and I gave a calculator to Phil... And then I grabbed Liz and I gave you a pen and paper. Calculator, pen and paper. And I said, what's the uh, area of a circle that has a circumference of 6.32? <laughs> You've got a calculator and you're about to, well, we all know pi, don't we? Pi, Pythagoras, pi, going back a little bit into our Greek. And I said, right, one, two, three, go. He had the calculator, you had the pen and paper. One, two, three, go. Finished. Got the answer. Liz screams out, girl power. And Liz comes up with the answer. If I asked you very quickly, just off the top of your head, who's the smarter? Who's the smarter person? He couldn't even make a calculator find the answer. He's still trying to work out how to turn it on. Get the picture? Yeah. And yet Liz came up with the answer. Do you know those kinds of people? They still exist. My dad used to use a slide rule. Do you remember those things? Slide rules? He could make any... An, an answer like that. You know, he, he could just do it in a flipping slide rule. How do you do that, dad? Some people can do it in their head. You know those sorts of people? But... With the calculator, you're now with your phone. I mean, if I asked the same question, most of us would work that out. Why would we go to Google? Wouldn't we? And Google would work out how to work out pi times whatever to find... I think you're getting my point. This was an incredible city. But they were spiritually thick as a brick. They were an incredible city. They built all of what we just looked at without, us, without electricity. Without a calculator, without a slide rule, they build it all literally on the mindset of pen and paper. Who's the smarter people? We are so convinced that because we put someone on the moon, we're smarter than those old generations. I've been, uh, how can I say, interacting with someone recently, a young person, not too young, but a young person who believes that when Paul wrote the scriptures, that was 2,000 years ago, And what we have to do is we have to take those scriptures and and look at them today against today's world. And you know where the story's going, don't you? And what that means is that person is able to interpret everything in the Bible according to their wisdom, according to the way I believe. Because Paul was 2,000 years ago. Have you heard this? Paul and the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. Don't fall for it. Paul was far more intelligent than you or I, I'm sorry. (laughs) Paul was incredibly intelligent. The writers of scripture, some of these guys, Luke, incredibly intelligent. They didn't have technology, they only had a pen and paper, yet they did the things that we've just seen. They've built amphitheatres that are still there. (laughs) Get it? Who's the smarter? So when Paul comes in to these people of Ephesus and writes this, he's trying to grab their attention. I understand you people are smart people, but spiritually, guys, I'm sorry, you're thick as a brick. You're following Diana, you're following a little goddess, and we know how Paul would talk about goddesses. He would say, lift your eyes and see Jesus resurrected. The same power that resurrected Christ. And he'd move into a high language to lift their eyes up. And what did he say? I pray that God would open your eyes, not those eyes, but your eyes of understanding that you would be enlightened. Hear the language. Jesus is screaming out to us today, I believe, as Christians. I'm not preaching to people to get born again this morning. I'm preaching to those of us that have the scriptures. We have the apps. We have everything. Everything we have. See that? That's not in Ephesus. It was so flipping big, they made it a taxi drive out of Ephesus. You had to walk a kilometre. Oh, by the way, Ephesus doesn't exist anymore. There's no new city. It's just a tiny little city that thrives on the popularity of these ruins. Ephesus does no longer exist. But that, that is the temple of Artemis. And it's not even in the city. Why? Look how big it is against those people at the bottom. I mean, that would dwarf even one of any Melbourne's biggest buildings. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And even just looking at that, you stand back and just go, how did people without a chainsaw, without electricity, without petrol engines, how can they do this? How can they, how can they make these things? With ceilings, with roofs. It's incredible. Don't ever, as we read the book of Ephesians, take for granted the people of the past that Paul was talking to. Don't ever fall for the idea that because it was 2,000 years ago, we need to reinterpret it. The same language that Paul spoke to them is this language he's speaking today. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. And he brings it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's lift your eyes. I pray that you would understand and be enlightened. That's the temple of Artemis today. Isn't that incredible? That's all that's left. And that pillar was made out of the rubble on the ground and they're, not, they're just bits of pillars that they've put together. It's rather, it's rather sad, isn't it? Just to get tourism in there because everyone wants to see where the Temple of Artemis was. Look at that. That's all that's left. See the foundations in, in the ground? They've dug it. It's all gone. Artemis is no more. Why? Because a guy called Paul went into that city and started the ball rolling. Lift your eyes up to Jesus. Get your eyes off the idols. Same messages today. Put your eyes up upon Jesus. It's just incredible. Open the eyes of my heart. We sing that song. We're going to sing it. We pray that prayer. I pray this could be our prayer. That for all my knowledge, my wealth and my debt my Google accounts, my Netflix, my history channel, my fashion, my wisdom, my experience, my intelligence and my pure charm. (laughs) We have so much. It is so easy to rely on what we have, to rely on what makes us a great nation. Even as Australians, it's great that we've got pride and national pride in all the things that make us great. But sometimes it's the very things that make us great. can be the very things that trip us up. Just read history. Sometimes the very things that made Ephesus great, you saw it. That is the temple that made Ephesus the centre of the universe where everyone would come and visit to be blessed by the goddess Artemis. I ask the question. The Bible, at the end of where Paul's passage is, he finishes with the throne. There's a reason Paul's done that. He's capped off his introduction. He's lifted their eyes. He said, open your eyes. And I found it fascinating when I read this and put it together. i would never seen it before. He brings it to the throne. This is a message to Christians. This is a message to you and I. This is a message to me, to you, to people who've been around a long time reading the Bible. Let's make sure we keep our eyes open our understanding open to the spiritual things. Because life can kind of, the debt, the Netflix, everything that we do day in, day out, the pressures of life. We live in a great city. We have so much open to us. We don't live a simple life, do we? Our diaries are chock-a-block. It's so easy to take our eyes off the real spiritual things. And, of course, my prayer is that on the day that we stand in front of the throne, we're not going to be like the Temple of Artemis. We're not just going to be some... Isn't that lonely? Isn't that sad? Follow the temple, follow Diana, follow the world's ideas of spirituality and that's what we end up looking like. Nothing. 2,000 years, nothing. I thank God I ain't going to be in that place according to his riches in glory. See, the hear the high language now. You have been lifted up. You have been enlightened. You have been filled with the same power that raised Christ out of the dead. And we look back at Melbourne. Oh, it's a beautiful city, but oh, hallelujah for the new. Hallelujah for when Jesus comes back. Every name, every name, every power, everything that wars against the the struggles in our families, the struggles in our day to day, everything will come to his feet and will be made right. Tears will be wiped away and we will live for eternity, not just 2,000 years, for eternity in his realm. Pretty hot, huh? I pray that God would open your eyes to this incredible thing that God has done for us. And the incredible eternity that we have, that in 2,000 years, they're not going to be you know, looking at some empty vessel and say, that was Texas life. Fantastic, isn't it? We serve a fantastic God. I pray that's been enlightening and eye-opening and enjoyable touring around Ephesus. Thank you.